Hello, and welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on May 30, 2018, focusing on global company perspectives in a post-tax reform world. The panelists for the webcast were Ken Kuykendall, a PwC tax partner and our tax services leader, Chris Kong, a PwC tax partner and our U.S. inbounds tax leader, Bernard Mullen, a PwC tax partner focusing on U.S. inbounds tax issues, and Lisette Totfest, a PwC tax partner and leader of our international tax services practice in Mexico. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists on some of the key provisions that have changed as a result of tax reform and how they are impacting global businesses operating in the United States. Take a listen. Chris, I'm going to come to you. You've got an opportunity to travel around the world in, in your role. You spent a lot of time talking with <laughs> policymakers around the world. You get a chance to talk with um, some companies around the world. Maybe just share some perspectives as to what you're seeing, from, particularly from companies' reactions, countries' reactions to the U.S. tax reform provisions. Sure, Ken. There's there's great amount of interest uh, in U.S. tax reform, uh, certainly by other countries around the world and companies that are headquartered in countries outside the United States. Some are contemplating expansion to the United States or those with businesses already there. And I would say a couple of points, Ken, that um, resonate, that I, that I think would resonate with our, everyone, is the fact that um, when you reduce corporate tax rates by 40%, as the U.S. has, and follow that, couple that with some tax incentives like immediate expensing, plus reasonably good economy to boot, you've got great interest from businesses wanting to invest in the U.S. The second, though, is there is still a level of uncertainty as to the uh, provisions. There's some 80-odd provisions, at least, with uh, regulations yet to come for, US, for the, US, the new U.S. provisions. And then when you factor in how the, US, the new U.S. provisions interact with tax treaties around the world and the reaction of com- countries around the world and what they might do with their laws, there's a lot of uncertainty. And one thing I know companies really want is certainty in this, in this time. Yeah. Great point. And, and that's not dissimilar from what we're seeing from a U.S. standpoint. Even the U.S. MNCs, the uncertainty element is really causing people to maybe check up on some of the things they, they might be doing. Um, Chris, as you're sort of going through that reaction, the one thing I, I do want to sort of differentiate a little bit of what we're going to hear here today in a lot of ways is company perspectives as to what's yes. happening and yes. investment decisions. Um, if you're really, truly interested in the what's going on in the countries in tax policy and the intersection with, with tax policy, we've got another sort of webcast coming up in a couple of weeks where we'll dig into that. So we're going to try and unpack those two topics separately, although there will be some intersections. So thank you for that. Yes. Bernard, maybe I can come to you right now. Give a little bit of a flyover for people around the key provisions that have changed as a result of reform and how they're impacting um, sort of global companies doing business in the U.S.? Sure, and I'll, I'll spend just, just literally a minute or so on, on this since I think most of this is familiar to, to most of you uh, uh, watching this. We have, as Chris mentioned, a reduction in headline rate from 35 to 21% starting in, in 2018, uh, coupled with full expensing for qualifying property put into, into place uh, starting in September of last year. Uh, in addition, we're retaining our R&D credit um, uh, at least for a few years, going to um, amortization of it over five years, uh, starting in 2022. Net operating loss is a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, it's limited to 80% of losses going forward. 
but there's an unlimited uh, carry forward. And then finally, important for both non-US and US-based multinationals is the uh, interest expense deduction limitation uh, to to 30% of EBITDA going to 30% of EBIT starting in 2023. On the international side, uh, significant changes uh, clearly migrating to a type of territorial system requiring a transition through the toll tax. Uh, type of territorial yes, system. That's the right try, way to try, it. Yes. Trying, <laughs> trying the best way I can uh, to describe it. And then we have uh, we have a you know the, the the guilty provision which we'll we'll talk through in detail next week, uh, which some have have dubbed a minimum uh, global tax on on foreign income. Uh, very significant provision in the beat, which is which is a which would essentially a minimum tax on. Uh, on uh, deductible payments made to related foreign parties that are excessive. And then finally, as a carrot to the guilty stick, we have the foreign-derived intangible income regime, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a bit more detail as to how, that, how companies should think about that, which gives you an incentive on the export of sales and services. Or goods and services. Yeah, and great job flying through this. We've covered a lot of this through the readiness series, sort of getting into it. I mean, the big message is here. Some pretty substantial changes mm-hmm. to the U.S. tax regime, and a lot of them having a material impact on companies doing business in the U.S. from outside the U.S., so right. yeah. big deal. Um, Chris and Bernard, maybe I can come to you for different perspectives here, one from an outbound, one from an inbound perspective, but you guys maybe want to talk about, um, given the changes we just talked about, wh- what are global companies thinking about or what should they be thinking about? Sure. Well, on the outbound side, if you're a U.S.-based multinational uh, or even if you are a U.S. subsidiary of a non-U.S.-based multinationals with with uh, foreign operations below the U.S. What you really were trying to do uh, over, over the long run was that because we had a we had credit system with deferral, is to try to shift a lot of the income uh, to the extent possible into low tax jurisdictions and achieve deferral. That had a, that had the so-called lockout effect where all the earnings were sitting overseas. Congress tried, you know, has effectively fixed that with a toll charge uh, to move to a territorial regime, and. What we're now seeing in a new environment for U.S.-based multinationals is is a is an environment where it may be more effective, uh, depending on circumstances, to actually invest back in the U.S. We're going to have a lot more ability to bring the cash back because now that all of the income is going to be taxed overseas, you can all bring it back without incremental U.S. tax, subject to withholding tax from 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 overseas. And so I think you're really seeing a, a paradigm shift where, where where companies, to some extent, will be looking at where to place their investments, whether it's going to be overseas or not. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, you know, from an inbound perspective, when I think of the the high U.S. tax rate that existed in the past, some 35 percent plus state rate, close to 40, companies around the world had to manage their U.S. Uh, tax base through uh, a variety of means. Certainly some of which included deductible payments such as interest uh, royalties and, and so forth you know sort of going forward under u.s tax reform um, base erosion uh, is going to be much more difficult with provisions like 163 jb and, and any hybrid provisions probably shouldn't be a surprise given you know the state of the world and a lot of the new u.s provisions mirror up with with a lot of what other countries have implemented We'll get into that when we go through the global reaction side, because there may be differences of opinion, but I, but I personally agree with you on, yes. on that point. Um, yes. So so not surprising the issues to think about. Mm-hmm. From, from your standpoint, Bernard, talking about the outbound side, I'm intrigued to see where that plays out, because I think the uncertainty that Chris referenced before mm-hmm. and how some of these provisions ultimately get framed by regulations is going to drive how much of that incremental investment we have in the U.S. And that's certainly the policy objective, but I think we're going to have to wait and see. 
Chris, to your point on the inbound side, big rate reduction, mm -hmm. but limitations on interest deductibility and also some uh, limitations on deductible payments going out. And it's, it's a little bit of a balancing a act to figure out how it shakes out, right? Absolutely. And yeah. I'll, I'll just chime in here again, yeah. which is um, from Latin America, because it's a, a relatively high tax region, I mean, I think that also affects how companies are reacting, right? Where, you know, the extent of the benefit. So if you think about Latin America where, you know, rates are 30% plus, yes. I mean, there's definitely um, more of an incentive for them to think about. And I would say starting with their U.S. businesses and making them more robust. So there, you may not see these big changes um, immediately, but definitely a lot of thought analysis around functions and risks and other kind of smaller smaller movements. Yeah, and you make a great point. So often we compare some of this stuff to Europe where you have seen rate reductions mm -hmm. happening. You look at Latin America, right. that, that has not been the case. So there's there's a, a pretty big differential now from the standpoint of the rate when you look at it. Yeah. Great point. Okay, so maybe talking a little bit about the incentive side of what's happening. Obviously, um, part of what's out there from uh, the provision standpoint was designed to maintain or create incentives for investment here. Bernard, do you want to talk about how that's impacting global companies and investment decisions? Sure, sure. Um, when, when you look at the total package, um, you know you look at you look at the fact that you know revenue is going down by 1.5 trillion over over the next 10 years, and and a good part is through is through the rate reduction. So so clearly, clearly there's 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 an incentive I think built into into the overall you know package already. But if you if you break it down, and you start with the rate, the rate went down from 35 to 21. Yeah. That that is that is a massive reduction, uh, that that clearly is intended to to spur growth and investment in the U.S. Uh, and so, so, so I think you know from a U.S. perspective, just looking at it from that perspective, it, it is a massive change. If you look yes. at it on a global level, though, we went from being one of the highest tax jurisdictions to kind of middle of the pack. Right? Is this where you tell me we rallied from the back of the pack to the middle <laughs> of the pack? <laughs> it's not bad, right? It's not bad altogether. You know, it's a start at yeah. least. It's a start. And 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 I think you know, that may almost be a little bit misleading because you, you you France and Belgium still are looking for rate reduction, so we might we might eke to maybe a little bit uh, a little bit above average. But clearly, the overall net economic impact on the U.S. is that it's going to is going to spur growth and it's going to cause companies to look more closely at invest making investments in uh, into the U.S. If you couple that with full expensing, same thing. You know, there's there's a net economic benefit to um, you know to be able to fully expense the you know your, your assets as you place them into service or, or as you acquire them uh, acquire them used uh, R and D of course plays a big role. There's a huge economic and social return to having R and D uh, take place in the U.S. Um, you know certainly the fact that the credit that the credit is going to move to uh, to an amortization system uh, in a few years may put a damper on that. We'll see if they ever might make it permanent. We'll we'll see that uh, you know when the time comes. But uh, but as a but as a general matter, those are the big incentives that would create non-U.S. based multinationals to you know to at least look more closely at at increasing their investment in the U.S. A bit of a damper on that is the interest expense deduction, yeah. uh, because the interest expense deduction limitation, um, you know, when you're looking at, at debt finance investments, um, you know, will definitely uh, you know reduce the and, and offset some of the impact of the of the rate reduction as well as the um, uh, as well as the full expensing. Um, now, you know, those are some of the good things that came out of tax reform. Some of the not so good things that came out, and, and this is where, you know, at least some of the balancing comes out and where you're going to see some winners and some losers in this uh, are, are some, of the, some of the international provisions. I mean, clearly, as I said before, having, you know, you know some, some semblance of a territorial regime is great because now all the earnings, once they're taxing, 
can come back tax-free mm -hmm. in the U.S., which will increase investment in the U.S. So I think U.S. multinationals will be looking at increasing their investment into the U.S. Um, but there's, there's, there's a couple of buts. Uh, and they apply really to global companies, not just non-U.S.-based multinationals, but also U.S.-based multinationals. One is, one is guilty, which I referred to earlier, again, um, delved into more detail next week. But that really is a minimum tax on on income to the extent that um, that the that the overall effective rate is is less than thirteen and an eight percent, and it really is a bit of a minimum tax because um, because of some technical rules that we'll go into next week dealing with the interest expense apportionment uh, and the fact that you can only use eighty percent of your credits to reduce the tax. Um, so that, that we'll get into it next week, it, but that thirteen percent is a misnomer when you start it, it talking about expense allocations. There can be companies that have twenty percent. Exactly. tax rates on foreign earnings that play into exactly. it. And to your point, that's a damper on U.S. Investment. It is. It is. And so, and so if you look at a non-U.S. company, um, you know, looking looking to buy uh, to, to, to buy a U.S. company, you know, a, a foreign company might decide to buy another foreign company because yeah. once they buy a U.S. company, there's going to be a minimum tax associated with it with a foreign earnings. So I I think that is that is definitely something that is going to refrain companies um, um, uh, um, a bit. FDII is a very interesting point because FDII, I think, was 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 the was the the carrot to the to the guilty stick, if you will, to say, well, we're going to try to neutralize the investment decision between offshore and onshore by giving you uh, about an equal effective rate on the earnings to the extent you can manage it. If you're capital-intensive business, the way that the FDII rules work, you actually could be worse off putting your investment into the U.S. because you're going to have a significant amount of, of, of income that's still going to be taxed at 21% before you get the benefit of the FDII benefit. Um, so, so I think, I think that, that, is, that, is a, that is a potential challenge or, or to, to fully being able to benefit from FDII. I think the other one is the WTO challenges, and that will be covered sometime later, later next, you know, this month on some of the some of the global implications. But you know, we've seen a lot of a lot of governments asking questions about, well, is this really compatible with WTO? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I think I think for that reason, we what I would expect the global companies to do is to really look more closely at the U.S. The U.S. continues to be an extraordinarily attractive place to invest. Uh, but I think that they will be careful to think to you know to think about moving wholesale uh, into the U.S. For example, solely to benefit from the FDI benefit. For well, that's actually Bernard. Uh, U.S. has been the number one country for foreign direct investment. It has been, yeah. Even under the old rates, under the old rules. So this, uh, this you'll, you'll still see foreign investment here. I think Bernard's point, and it's a good one, and, and I want to sort of probe in on that perspective. Is I think everyone assumed with tax reform can't miss such a substantial rate drop, has to be increasing U.S. investment. And realistically, it should, but I think you're, you're appropriately balancing that out and saying there's some other considerations mm -hmm. to work through. Um, that resonates really strongly with the messaging that we've had several times in this readiness series, which is Bernard just lifts it off six or seven different considerations that all interact with each other that need to be considered. Mm -hmm. The only way you can take all that into account is essentially putting it all in, into a model and, and running it and understanding what kind of potential ROI are you going to get on a U.S. investment or an incremental U.S. investment given your unique fact pattern and what's happening. So I think it's a great, great point, um, and it is a discussion we're going to continue to see. It's just a balanced discussion around how much incremental U.S. investment. But to your point, the U.S. is going to continue to be a source of uh, foreign direct investment. Why? Legal system, all sorts of different things, access to labor, all, all, all pieces that were already there and will continue to be there. Yeah. Lissette, I want to come back to you and put a specific Latin American spin mm -hmm. on that particular question. So as you look through your lens of dealing with Latin American companies, 
How does all do all those incentives impact right. investment in the U.S. through that lens? Yeah, well, to your point, I mean, it really depends on what's the starting point for the company, right? Yeah. Their profile and then the country, their country um, of residency or investment. So from Latin America, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, we've got really high tax rates, relatively speaking, right? Um, we have a foreign tax credit system. So that in and of itself is a big variable because this could mm -hmm. just be a temporary benefit for, yeah. for many of these countries. And we have a... And most of the countries have CFC systems. So you put all of that together, and even though it's a significant reduction um, in the U.S. tax rate, that may not be a big benefit for Latin American countries if they do nothing else. Yeah. And so one, one conversation that I've seen, um, you know, and specifically to Mexico, I know in Brazil as well, is this idea of, you know, companies thinking about, you know, what if they were to move not just functions and risk, but say management to the U.S. Sure. and make this a permanent benefit. And not that I, you know, I think there's going to be a bunch of companies doing that, but I do think that, that companies and especially, you know, board of directors are asking the question, well, let's think about this, right? I mean, what would happen and what would this do to our business if, if we were to move management? Um, at the same time, I mean, the U.S. tends to be still a very complex country, right? I mean, for, for Latin America, you look at it, you've got state tax, you know, there's all of this... I mean, especially for Mexico, right, where everything's federal. We had a complex system, and we added a lot on mm -hmm. top of it right now. Let's just be honest, Jim. Right. So I do think that absolutely for, for existing U.S. businesses or planned U.S. investment, this does make um, the U.S. much more attractive. Yeah. The next step, and we can, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a few minutes, but I think um, that is not something that we're going to see immediately, but yeah. absolutely companies are rethinking their, their relationship with the U.S., Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you.